Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Girly Bits. It's an episode this week that I deep dive into a topic that I really kind of feel like we don't talk about as much as we should. topic for girly bits is grief. Um, I know I've been pretty open on my radio show about, I suppose, my grief and what I've gone through over the last number of years. Um, but just to give you a little bit of a recap, I suppose in 1999, my dad had a brain hemorrhage and he passed away. Um, I was quite young at the time. My brother was only two at the time. And after that, I suppose my mum showed a lot of resilience in how she managed to raise, you know, two very young children, um, you know, with trying to get us to school eventually, you know, getting me to college and my brother, um, all of that kind of stuff. I suppose it was really, really difficult and really hard. Um, And when you lose one parent, I suppose your world crumbles and you go, wow, okay, at least I have my other parent. I had my mum. But I suppose what we didn't realise is that, you know, your worst nightmare can strike twice. And in 2016, my mum was diagnosed with ovarian cancer. It happened to be metastatic ovarian cancer. She had a short illness of six months, six awful, terrible months that I don't think you'd wish on your worst enemy. There was a lot of over and back from, you know, trying to get her moved from one hospital to another to try and get treatment. Um, Long story short, I had brought my mum to, um, on a summer holiday, or a summer holiday, I say it was summer when it was actually January, but I used to work all the hours that I possibly could to try and get my dream job, which I, I have now, but I used to work with iRadio on a bit more of a freelance base. Um, I did weekends, I did, you know, outside broadcasts, I would do lots of events, I was, you know, doing everything and anything that I possibly could. So when January would hit, it would be a really quiet time of the year. So I would always say to my mom, I'm like, come on, we'll go on a little bit of a trip in January. So the night before we were supposed to leave, um, she felt really unwell and she said, look, I'm going to go to the doctor and get checked out. The doctor said, look, you're probably after eating a lot of, you know, very um, rich foods and that's probably why you don't feel very well. So true Bridie Clark fashion, she didn't want to let me down. So she was like, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. Let's go. Let's go. So we went on our holiday, we went to Portugal and um, we had, you know, uh, I think she, I was going to say we had a nice time, but all the while she was feeling very unwell. She was getting sick a lot, um, you know, and I'd said to her, I was like, mum, come on, look, you know, we will fly home, we'll fly home, you don't feel well. But she stuck it out for, I think we were there maybe three or four days, but she stuck it out um, and that journey home was I suppose the most difficult journey I've ever had. She was really unwell, really weak. Um, you know, I, I was desperately trying to get her onto the plane just in case we were left in Portugal having to go to a hospital there, not knowing about the health system there, all of that kind of stuff. So I managed to get her onto the plane in Portugal Airport. Um you know, I got back to Dublin. Um, I knew the things weren't, she wasn't well at all. Um, so managed to get a wheelchair from the plane um, to the medical area in the airport. Then I got my car. 
I, you know, collected her from the airport because obviously I was parked out in the long term car park. Um, and then we went straight to the hospital, went straight to Bonnesloe Hospital, which would be the closest hospital to us. Um, and from there, you know, I suppose she spent quite a few weeks. They were trying to diagnose exactly what she had. Um, as you probably know, ovarian cancer is very hard to spot. Um, but yeah, like I suppose at the, you know, throughout that, she was six months um unwell in hospital six months of you know on autopilot not knowing what to do where to go um who to reach out to making decisions that you don't want to make it was just a really really tough terrible hard time for myself and my family um but yeah uh, I suppose in, in 2016, in June of 2016, um, my mum passed away of that cancer. And I suppose life has never really been the same since. You never really know how to navigate where you're going when you don't have your parents. But at the same time, I don't know how we do it. But uh, myself and my brother, um, he'll probably kill me for having a chat about him on this. But for for the last you know seven years we've somehow managed to get up dust ourselves off and keep going so with saying that I suppose I was really taken aback when I saw this girl take to the stage and explain so eloquently talk so eloquently about what she went through when losing both of her parents. It's a club that you don't really want to be part of. Unfortunately, it's grief is something that everybody's going to go through at some stage in their life, but you really don't expect it to hit and arrive at your front door um, as quickly as it does for some people. So my guest for this week is none other than the fabulous, wonderful, I don't know how many more words I can use to describe this strong, resilient, brave lady. It's the Claire Rose of 2023, Ashling O'Connor. I'm really, really happy to have a chat to Ashling O'Connor. Of course, you're the Rose of Tralee's 2023 Rose for Claire. Thank you so much for coming on to have a chat to me. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me, Louise. Not at all. Now, of course, um, I can imagine, you know, you're just only a couple of weeks after the actual Rosa Tralee itself and you must be coming back down to earth after the whirlwind of, you know, all of the events and all of the clothes and all of the style and, of course, taken to the stage as well. How are you feeling about it all now? I think I've only just started to really process and reflect on what the last couple of weeks and the last couple of months have been like. Um, And I think, you know like emotionally it was such a drain you know just getting up every single day making yourself like presentable and even when you're exhausted like we still had to keep going and keep kind of driving each other through that experience um but I have to say like it was just like everybody says it was just the most unique wonderful amazing once in a lifetime experience and you know again they say it every year on the tv but I really couldn't have had a better group of girls um, to share the experience with and I think you know there was just such a strong sense of morale throughout the couple of weeks and you know as you know yourself there's days when you know a couple of us might feel a little bit low and a couple mm-hmm. of us are really you know feeling energetic and empowered and like we just kind of bounced off each other in those two weeks and pulled each other through and now here I am trying to trying to soak it all in and reflect on it all. 
Absolutely. Because I think, you know, when I was watching it, obviously I, w- I was on air, um, you know, when the actual show was on. But I, I rushed home and I was like, I'm definitely going to watch this back on the player. Um, And I suppose when I, I had seen like a couple of clips on, you know, social media and stuff and they were like, oh, the Claire Rose is going to win. She was absolutely brilliant. And then I sat down and I watched your piece and I was like, oh, my gosh, you know, you you spoke so well, you spoke so eloquently and about a topic that I sometimes find, you know, that it's so difficult to talk about. I would be quite open, um, you know, I suppose if if it's OK to mention, like you spoke so well about losing both of your parents. And one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you is because, you know, we were kind of saying off air that it's you kind of become part of this club that you don't really want to. I mean, nobody knows what life is going to throw at you. I lost both both my parents as well. My dad, when I was 11, um, to a brain hemorrhage. Uh, my brother was only two. And then, you know, sadly, my mum passed away seven years ago of metastatic ovarian cancer. Um, And I think when you lose one parent, you're like, oh my God, this is horrific. It's the worst thing that could possibly happen to you. And then throughout your time of only, you know, having one parent alive, you kind of go, okay, but at least I still have one parent and, you know, the worst is never going to happen. But then, unfortunately, you know, that black dog or or whatever you'd like to call it knocks on the door and goes, Mm -hmm. right, well, your life is going to turn upside down for a second time. And I don't know whether you went through any of these things, but, you know, then your worst nightmare really comes true. You know, no matter what on social media, you know, I I mean, I don't think anything can compare to what happens when when that actually, you know, does knock on your door. Um, Like, how did you find the strength to actually stand up on the world stage and talk about your experience? Yeah, so, you know, firstly, Louise, I own, I, you know, I only learned of your story and your parents' um, story and your story, obviously, just, you know, today. And yeah. I think it is still really shocking just, you know, to, to hear. I think sometimes we, we feel like we're kind of alone and for the most part, maybe, you know, it's not very commonplace, you know, to have, you know, young families and, you know, young women without both of their yeah. parents. But I think for me anyway, um, just speaking personally, my mom was such a pillar of strength and such a role model for us when my dad passed. Mm -hmm. So my dad passed in 2018 um, just from a really tragic accident. He was actually fixing um, the engine of a digger and he had the cab, the really heavy digger cab, um, propped up and... um, you know whatever happened we probably will never really know but the cab fell whether it wasn't secured or whether he was moving it and the cab fell so he you know that was such a tragic loss and you know my mom had the the devastation the heartache and the shock of actually finding him the night that he died and I think that you know that's the stuff of nightmares Mm -hmm. but and obviously my mom grieved so intensely and we cried and we cried and we we cursed and we yeah. felt angry and we felt every sort of negative emotion. But ultimately, in the couple of years between dad passing and mom being re-diagnosed, she was everything that we could have hoped for and more. She was so strong for us. Um, she went back to work in those years, which was incredibly hard after, you know, 20 odd years kind of out of the workforce. Yeah. She took that step and returned to work. She took on the role of both parents for us in that time. And she did so with so much grace and like dignity and elegance as she always did. And she put us ahead of 
anything else, like even her own grief and maybe the days where she wanted to just bury her head, you know, under the duvet, which I'm sure she did. She never really let us know that. Yeah. And I think seeing her strength in those years was a real kind of fire and a motivation for myself and my brothers after she passed. You know, we saw how she handled it and how she handled herself and kind of kept pushing forward in those years. And I think for us, you know, we were, we've were we just been trying to mirror that, you know, as best we can. And sometimes it doesn't feel fair, as you say, and sometimes you get really angry and you get really mad and you think, you know, why us and why me? Mm-hmm. And, you know, you know, why do some people have, you know, both their parents and why do we have none? And obviously those feelings are so valid and so understandable, but... I think, you know, her strength in those years really is 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 what motivates us now to keep going day by day. And sometimes, like, as you probably know yourself, hour by hour, minute by minute. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, you've you've kind of hit the nail on, on the head there. It sounds like our, our mums were very, very similar. Um, Like even, you know, when I was growing up, I suppose I, I, I people would always say to me, Louise, you're sometimes you're so serious. But then I, I've yeah. learned in recent times that, you know, when you lose one parent, you know, you kind of grow up a little bit because my brother was so young when my dad passed away that, you know, you do kind of take on a bit of a parent role to kind of help out or, or that kind of thing. But like that, like I never would have thought that my mum was grieving or having bad days or, or that type of thing um, yeah. but like that I think when you go through the cancer diagnosis and you know with my mum it was it was very quick like she never she never smoked she never drank she never did anything kind yeah. of as yeah. much as I would do now when I'm out having a good time or yeah. you know with, yeah, with yeah. a couple of drinks or that type of thing but I suppose when we found out that she had metastatic ovarian cancer you know it was just like whoa why why us why you know but yeah. I suppose as a family you just kind of have to pull through um you know you have to try and do your best to to try and keep going um of course like you're the eldest and and I am as well and I think we've both yeah. spoken about how much we learned from our mums and you know the resilience of having such a strong female in the family um you know yeah. do you do you ever find that sometimes you know, like you you have to be that strength and like if you do have bad days, you know where does your circle come in or the people that you can talk to? I know I have absolutely amazing friends that have turned into my family over the years. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I I suppose, like, I think a lot of people probably accredit me and I I know it's probably different for everybody, but I think a lot of people probably give me more credit than I even deserve with, you know, alluding to the fact that, you know, I'm the eldest and I am the only girl and, you know, kind of what toll did that have or what role did I take on? But really, it's been such a team effort between myself and my brothers I think you know especially in in our circumstance when mom got her first diagnosis um, of metastatic cancer in August of 2020 um, she pushed me out the door and you know I'd already secured a job in Dublin um, in the midst of her getting the diagnosis and obviously that was like a real um, kind of personal battle for me like will will I take the job um and go to Dublin and kind of like leave her five days a week with the lads mm-hmm. or will I put that on hold and stay local and I don't know about your mom but my mom was absolutely adamant and determined that you know she wouldn't prevent us as, yeah. as she saw it yeah. from doing anything that we you know wanted to do so she pushed me out the door and my brothers took on a massive massive role in that time and they probably you know don't even you know want any acknowledgement for it but like mom was really so ill and 
you know, had to be fed, her medication had to be kept on top of. And like, these are the most traditional Irish young men that you could probably paint a picture yeah. of. These are, you know, her rough, tough, big hurling GA yeah. lads. And they just were outstanding in that time. And like, I would come home on the weekends and I kind of would take over maybe on the weekends and, you know, they'd be off doing their matches and whatever. And oh, like, as, as hard as it sometimes is, like, to, to admit it or to say it, it really was exhausting. It was emotionally exhausting. It was physically exhausting kind of taking on that role of a carer. And they did it all week when I wasn't there. So I think then, like, they're my, my most immediate circle and they're my most tight-knit circle. And we've lent on each other, leaned on each other so heavily in the past couple of years since dad died to kind of pull together and be there for mom. And then when mom was sick to pull together and to kind of care for her and, you know, keep her positive and, you know, keep her... You know, it, you know, it's hard. It was hard sometimes to keep her, you know, just, just the spirit high and stuff, and yeah. motivated. Yeah, and I think you know we've just gotten to know each other just on such a deep level now throughout that. And then you know, as I said, and it's been well recorded. You know, then the community came in as kind of like a second defense for mm-hmm. us, and we're there so practically and so emotionally for us as well. So I've been so blessed, like yourself, Louise, to have such a strong wall around me you know in the last couple of years and yeah you know sometimes I do say I'm lucky and people are kind of going what but you know you probably feel that as well we haven't been allowed to think and nobody's left our side so you know we have things to be thankful for too yeah definitely because a lot of my friends would say how are you so strong how do you Mm. keep going how do you you know get up every day and talk on the radio and you know all of these things have happened but I'm kind of like you know I'm I'm so lucky that you know I am still here I you know I I've kind of gotten back up on my feet as I've said I've had amazing friends but kind of like that as well uh, like I think a lot of people jump to say oh it's the girl in the family that was really great but like I have to say my brother when I think you know there's eight years between us and when I think back to you know the resilience that he showed during everything that we had to go through and it's absolutely like it's the most horrific thing I think you know having to care for your parent and you know there's I don't know with with you and your mom or whatever and I don't want to kind of upset either of us but you know we we never really spoke about what was coming because I suppose it was too hard for my mom to even have that conversation and anytime like a consultant would come in or something like that and we were in hospice you know for quite a while as well um, and we'd never have the conversation about what was inevitably going to happen you know and even when I'd be in that room you know my mom wouldn't she'd be like oh yeah we're going to get you know more medication and we'd be fine but I suppose you know that's why I'd be such an ambassador for the Galway Hospice and in the coming weeks I'm going to be doing you know MC work for their memorial walk and it took me a while to kind of reach out and go I'm ready to give back to the hospice but at the same time Mm you know, throughout everything that we went through, you know, and we had such hard times in the hospital and, you know, fighting with the HSC and trying to get care and all of that. It felt Mm. like, you know, I've often had problems with work or that type of thing. And I'm like, there's nothing that's ever going to compare than trying to get a person in your life the best care possible when they're sick. But, um, Mm. you know, like there is so much to, to be given back to and, you know, I suppose it's it's trying to move on from such a, an awful time in your life to a time where you can go, right, look, it, it was bad, but like we can learn something from it and we can try and yeah. help in whatever way possible moving forward for those who might need help now. 
Yeah, no, 100%. And actually, I resonate really strongly with what you're saying about your mom. And it isn't something that we talked about because I think it was just something that was so unimaginable. And it was just something that, like, mom would have said to us, you know, you know, if, if I could, I would climb Mount Everest now if it meant that I could get rid of this and like stay with you all. Um, but I, I don't think she ever really believed. She thought such a, a hard like diagnosis and prognosis back in 2004. And she'd kind of beaten every single medical odd, I think at that time. And yeah. she'd been so many years cancer free. Um, and there was so many years when it just didn't even cross our minds that, you know, it could ever come back or ever happen again. But I think when it did, there probably was a lot of, I'm going to say use the word denial I yeah I think some of my brothers maybe even had like a little bit more acceptance or a bit more of an understanding of what might happen or what was inevitably going to happen um I think a lot of us then kind of you know mom had always been so determined and she'd overcome so much I think that hope then was just so overriding as well in her last few months um that you know we really rejected the hospice in that time and mom hated seeing you know the poor nurse come in every day and she'd be locking the gate and yeah. she'd be closing the door and like but I I agree you know and I think it has taken me like almost two years now to really realize the jobs that they have and the things that they see and you know the families that they deal with and you know the toll that must have on them so I salute you as well Louise for you know giving back and you know doing what you can to help the hospices I think that's really amazing yeah and I mean like you never know when you're going to be ready to even sometimes talk about these things that's why I suppose Mm -hmm. when I reached out to you I was like maybe she will maybe she won't but I think there's a lot about grief that's not spoken about um you know like I know from the minute nearly the minute that I found out that my mum was you know practically terminally ill which is such a it's such a hard thing to even get your head around, you know, and try yeah. to work at the same time, trying to, you know, be on the radio. I will never forget the time where my boss ran into me one day. I was on the radio and I must have been so zoned out that I played passenger, let her go three times in a row. And the boss yeah. was like, Louise, that's the third time that song's played. And I was like, oh, oh my God. I didn't even I didn't even realize. But like, I don't know what it was inside me that kept me going. And maybe it was just the fact that I suppose when you are on the radio sometimes or no more than when you're, you know, at the Rosa Tralee and you get to be somebody yeah. else for a little while um, that yeah. you're just able to push through. But I suppose when I want when I reached out to you, I was like, maybe you will want to speak about it, but maybe you won't. But I think there is such a you know, we never really talk about grief in its raw form and everything seems to be all happy-go-lucky on social media sometimes. But really, you know, there's a lot of people in life who could be dealing with something outside of that. And because it's a little bit raw, it's a little bit unspoken Mm. of, we kind of don't really address it much. No, no, yeah, I I fully agree. And I do think that there is maybe a certain cultural thing there with, Irish people a little bit um, and grief um, like I remember you know my poor mother dad had only you know passed a couple of months and you know there was already people kind of in the parish yeah. you know and they, and they mean the best by but saying oh well you kind of have to get on with it now and you know look which you know and that's life and you know kind of, and that's the last thing you want to hear yeah. when you know you're missing somebody like so deeply and like there's such a massive hole in your life now and people are 
kind of already brushing it over and but I think that's you know that's coming from a place in them where they want to see you keep going and they want to see you you know pushing on and keeping the chin up and doing well so but I I know I fully agree and you know I've, I've even had the conversation with my brothers and you know I've called them you know the kind of stereotypical uh you know you know young Irish lads and that's great but you know they aren't you know probably very open about how they might feel on a day-to-day um, you know, and I think, as you say, just speaking about it a little bit more, I think grief is so non-linear mm-hmm. that, you know, some days, like some days that I've had in the past two years, there's no way I would have been able to get on stage in front of, you know, thousands of people and speak about mom and dad like I did. And, you know, some days I feel that kind of power in me to be able to do it. And I think it's, it's non-linear. It can hit you at any time. And, I don't know about you, but I went into autopilot in the months after both my parents passed. And you kind of just, the day-to-day stuff, you kind of get all consumed in that and you push it to the back of your mind and you keep going. But it was really a couple of months after mom passed that kind of everything came crumbling down around me and I like fell apart a little bit. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I went to counselling and I went to therapy and I became more open with my friends and I spoke about them loads and loads and loads. And I think you know, I got a little bit of comfort from that, just like speaking about them all the time. And I think I'm finding comfort in that now as well, you know, sharing their story, keeping their memory alive and at the same time acknowledging, you know, my brothers, my family, my community at the same time. Yeah, definitely. And I think you you kind of hit the nail on the head there where I'll never forget, like, see, I think people don't understand about grief as well as that, like, I don't know when whether you and your brothers experience this, but like the level of admin that there is to do when somebody passes away. And like yeah. some people go, I can't believe you were back to work two weeks later. And I'm like, well, I realized that once my mom passed away, I was left with a mortgage on my hands or else, you know, my brother yeah. and, you know, I, I was in college or sorry, I was working at the time, but I was like, or else my brother has to find somewhere else to live. So, you know, we've yeah. all of that to sort out. There Was there a will? Was yeah. there not a will? All of this kind of oh, stuff. And then you go down to the post office and I was collecting the death cert. And as morbid and all as this sounds, but it's it's a real factor of when somebody dies um and I was and somebody goes oh well isn't she at peace now and you look really like her and I was like that's the last thing I need to be hearing but again people just want to be as supportive as they possibly can you know I still get letters in the post and it's addressed to my mom and I'm like the amount of you know admin and you know all these Mm -hmm. certs and forms and all of this kind of stuff that you can't really sit at home and you know stay under the covers Mm -hmm. for as long as you want because whether or not you like it life has to move on you know if there's bank accounts to be closed if you have to go through probate all of these kind of things that people just don't realize when somebody passes away oh a hundred percent and like even just in in the day like the day that they pass away it's already well what readings do you want you know what what where do you want to have you know, do you want to have food after the funeral? Do you like they things start coming at you straight away so that there's no time? And I think, in some ways, that kind of helps you get through the first few months because, as you say, you're so focused on sorting out all the practicalities and everything. Maybe you don't have time to think, you know, too much about everything. But then, equally, that can be really hard as well because, you know, as I said, for me, you know, having sorted out all of those practical things like the death certs and the will and, you know, transferring names on accounts and like all that stuff is really hard as well because, 
you know, it can be really emotional. Like I remember, yeah. you know, being on the phone to Sky or something afterwards and being like, you know, I, I kind of want to transfer the name. And they were going through all the, you know, practicalities. And can you call out the name that was on it? And, can you, and I was in floods of tears yeah, of on the other end of the phone. And, you know, all those things can be just, yeah, really, I think they, they hit home when, when you're doing those kind of like simple tasks. Um but yeah, yeah, I know. It's it's, for me, it was like when I had to use the word deceased, I was like, yeah. oh, my God, this is so final. And, you know, I suppose I, I took on a an, a bit of a role of I used to have a notebook and it's so mad. I've had a couple of people in my life now who have, you know, gone through somebody passing away or that type of thing. And they're like, what do I do now? And I'm like, the best thing you could possibly do is just get a notebook and write absolutely everything down in it. Like, yeah. you know, it was like my little Bible for a couple of months, as crazy and all as it sounds. But, you know, between, like yeah. you said, closing accounts and bank accounts and Sky and phone yeah. bills and all of this kind of stuff. It's just the reality of, you know, when yeah. somebody passes away that like you just it's the type of stuff you can't escape. But um, I know you touched on, you know, the amazing community that you have have had mm-hmm. and, you know, even saying about like, you know, not being hungry or, or that kind of thing. Like I, I'm from the town of Pertumna and I have to say, you know, there there was table quizzes, you know, all of that kind of stuff yeah. set up. And I think even when I hear I heard recently of you know a young family who had lost like their mum and you know the dad had previously passed or, or that type of thing and I feel such heart-wrenching grief for those children yeah. but like you never really think oh well I, I went through that as well how am I how am I coping but it sounds like oh, you yeah. had such an amazing community around you guys yeah like they've just been absolutely I, I can't the words there aren't enough words to describe what they've done for us but like you know even from the year that dad passed mom was extremely like independent and self-sufficient and like they even stepped in then and you know they'd come down at Christmas with cards and dinners and just to take even just pressure off mom and that was when she was in the full of her health and then when mom got sick again in August 2020 like they really rallied then and um, you know, I've spoken about it, but there is a fridge at the end of our at the end of our gate, and I think it was something that Catherine Thomas even touched on in the interview. She said that is the epitome of community and yeah. just doing everything for just out of love because they they didn't want the thanks or like the personal satisfaction of like dropping it into the house. They would literally come, leave it in the fridge, and and go away about their day and. You know, it was all about making sure that we had a little bit of comfort, that it was one less thing for us to worry about in that time. And I suppose after mom passed, you know, we eventually expected the support to kind of, you know, just ebb away a little bit. But like it, it really has. It's, I think it's, it's stepped up and there's been post-office accounts opened for us. There, The dinners have never stopped. You know, there's vouchers, there's bags of shopping every day. And, and as I say, most of it goes through that little box at the end of our gate so they're they just do it for all the right reasons and it also reflects I suppose on mom and dad and you know how valued they were in the community and how much they gave when they were alive you know to the GA club and to their neighbours and everything so it's such a proud thing for us as well just to know how much they were loved and in in turn then how much we are loved so yeah it's incredible 
Oh, totally. Definitely. And I think it's it is lovely because um, I used to always, you know, I think at the start of it, I was like, oh, God, I don't want people to think that, yeah. you know, I need anything or I want anything or, you know, because I suppose I was I was, you know, 26 or something when my mom passed away. So I was like, oh, I should be able to do all this. But it's funny, like I remember randomly enough, I was I think it could have been the day of the funeral or something. I, for some reason, I wanted to go to Aldi. And uh, my best friend yeah. at the time and her, her husband came, her, her her boyfriend at the time, but he's now her husband, came with us. And I remember them just paying for a trolley load of like food. And I have no idea yeah. what I even bought, but it must have just been the, the frame of mind that I was in. But just people are so, so kind and they just they just want to kind of, you know, help you as much as they can. And I'm so yeah. delighted to know that, you know, you still have a lot of people around you because there are hard times like, you know, I don't know about you, but I, I kind of really don't like Christmas um, because of, yeah. you know, it's just the ads on the TV and, yeah, you know, all of yeah. that kind of stuff. And it's it's a constant reminder of maybe the, the family dynamic that you don't have anymore. But at the same time, I know yeah. there is still a lot of love around, but it's just that one time of the year where you kind of have to swallow you know, that lump in your throat and go, OK, um, it's, it, you know, you just have to embrace it. Yeah, 100%. And like, again, the parish make us feel like very special at Christmas and like they do the dinner. Well, they have done for the last couple of years and like, you know, they bring down bags of gifts and, you know, extra things, I suppose, around Christmas to make it feel a bit more comforting. But I think myself and my brothers don't really acknowledge Christmas. Like, I think for us, it hasn't felt like Christmas in such a long time. Yeah. You know, you know, mom really did her best, you know, in the years after dad passed. But I think it hasn't felt the same since. Um, and I, I think, you know, I don't know about you, but I, I think it's just even from the time where we've had no Santa in the house um, and like no little kids, I think there is like a little bit of shift in dynamic then at that time. Yeah. And and I, I think, you know, for us anyway, Christmas is just a day where we all kind of sit around and watch a few things on the TV. And I think we try not to see those high days and holy days as being any different to a regular day mm-hmm. um, and I think people you know tend to send me messages around even the time of like anniversaries and that and I'm like you know and, and sometimes I feel guilty about it I'm like today like that doesn't feel you know any more you know sad I suppose than yeah, any other yeah. day and like sometimes on the anniversaries like people really surround you um, and you feel a lot of love on those days but it can just be like the random Tuesday or like a random day in the week that you're like you can feel it so as I said it's non-linear it comes in waves and I think you can never really predict when it's going to hit you like for me for me with the Rose of Tralee it was it was actually trying on my stage dress I think and I still I kind of get emotional you know I think that maybe I might have associated a little bit with like down the line eventually one day trying on a wedding dress yeah Um, yeah I know what you mean you know like those moments those like little moments that I know she would have just love to have been a part of and that you know I think it hits me most in those little moments rather even than on the big holidays or the big days yeah it's it's different for everyone yeah I totally get where you're coming from because I think you know I know we're probably deep diving into things now but you know a lot I've been a bridesmaid five times and I've struggled with it a bit because I suppose you go to the you know all of the festivities that surround a wedding and like on the days that I've been sitting at the top table with the five brides I've been like this is lovely and I'm so happy for you but deep down I'm like oh my god my top table would look so so different you know it's all of those trying on wedding dresses and all of that kind of stuff and you know and now a lot of my friends are like they're having babies and that kind of thing and I I, like I remember 
you know, a couple of my friends were like, would you not just have a child? It'll be great. And I'm like, but my dynamic is completely different. I've had friends who, you know, their mums have gone to stay in their house for like a month, you know, once they've had the child and that kind of thing. And I'm kind of like, maybe I'd be over planning, but I'm like, if if I was to become a mum, which hopefully it's someday I will, but like, you'd have to be more, you know, it's that support network that you're just very aware that you don't have in your life anymore. Um, you yeah. know, like you don't have the, the mom and the dad to be dropping off a child or, you know, to go halves yeah. in a wedding or whatever it is. You know, you're very yeah. aware of the fact that you don't have that conventional mom, dad, um, you know, peace that would be so yeah. like important at a, a huge life event like that. A hundred percent. And I think I think even for me, just reflecting on like my experience in the roles of Chalee, I actually like people kind of are saying like oh my god like you you spoke like about them so well on tv or whatever but speaking about them like that I actually found much less difficult than watching some of the girls with their parents yeah you know after their performance or even in the days leading up to when we were reunited with our families in Chile just seeing like the pride and the love on their moms and dads faces you know at the reality of their little girl like in the rose of Chile and I, I know mine would have been so proud, but it's, it's actually Absolutely. those little moments for me. And just seeing, you know, seeing girls like interacting with their parents, um, you know, I did find that difficult. And yeah, yeah, it's, as you say, it's it's nonlinear and it's just, it can just hit you from behind when you're least expecting it. So yeah, yeah. definitely. And like, I think, you know, I, I suppose I have gone through the grief maybe slightly longer, longer than you have. But like, yeah. I think, you know, it is true when people say that, you know, it, it doesn't really get any easier. You just kind of maybe learn to cope with it a little bit better. And like, yeah. as you said, it can hit you from absolutely anywhere. You yeah. never know when it's going yeah. to creep up. But I think if you are going through it, you know, you just have to be kind to yourself and give yourself that space yeah. and time and not compare yourself to other people. Because, you know, I, I, I was having a, I had a podcast about relationships and stuff. And I was like, you know, a lot of my friends are married and have had families and all that kind of stuff. But I often say to myself, like, you know, I'm so thankful that none of my friends really have gone through what I've gone through and losing both their parents. But, you know, it does oh. take time for you to get your head around the fact that this has happened. And I think, you know, you're you're in your own space and whatever way yeah. you're able to get up in the morning and go and do your work and, and go and do whatever you need to. Like, you know, you just need to be happy in the space that you're in and not put any pressure on yourself. A hundred percent. And I think there's no right and there's no wrong. Like, I, you know, I remember after, you know, dad passing and I think the lads might have had a match, like, the day after the funeral. And I remember them kind of looking at mom, like, should we, shouldn't we? And mom was always like, guys, there is no right and there's no wrong. Like, if you guys want to go and play your match and that's going to make you feel good today, like, go do it. Equally, if you don't want to look at a hurling field for the next year, then don't. But I, I think that, you know, that sometimes people kind of put these, like, maybe expectations on themselves of what they should and shouldn't be doing when they're grieving or when they're mourning and will it look right if I do this now or you know when am I allowed to like go out again or like when am I allowed to look like I'm smiling and having fun again and I think I think it was such a tough time that you're going through personally I think the last thing anybody should be concerned about is putting those kind of expectations on themselves or those kind of you know exterior pressures because I think I I think I had that you know after dad passed um, and I think mom like really reassured me and like 
whatever you're doing and whatever feels right for you, that's what's right. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. So I think I think that's really interesting as well, actually. And I think it's it's something that like people feel like, oh, like, I, I can't actually leave the house for the next month or I, I can't be seen to be, you know, laughing with my friends or I can't be seen. But, you know, all of that is part of grieving. And yeah, I think just allowing yourself the space and the time to do what's going to make you feel right is really important as well. Yeah, it totally is. Um, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. I know we could literally chat for ages and ages. Um, you know, that it's just so it's so good to have such an open conversation about this because I think sometimes, like exactly what you've just said, there's so many expectations and stigma around how to grieve and what you should be doing yeah. and, and all of this kind of stuff that I think it's really important to have a conversation like this. Um and if anybody is, you know, I would urge if anybody is going through anything, like I'm always open to have a chat with somebody and if there's anything yeah, I can too. do I would love to to, to help um, but I suppose Ashling, what is next for our Claire Rose of, of 2023 <laughs> do you get a little bit of a break yeah so I'm actually I'm actually heading away in the next couple of days I'm going over for a holiday in Greece so Lovely. that's on the short term and I think I'm going to use that week away just to really think about what I'm going to do next I think as everybody knows I don't have a teaching job secured at the minute and I, I just need to figure out in my own head, you know, what's going to work for me in the next couple of months to a year. And as as you know yourself, Louise, sometimes it's day by day. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Ashling, it's been such a pleasure to talk to you. And um, thank you so, so much for being so open and sharing. And, you know, it's so great to talk to you. And no doubt we'll be on, on the DMs chatting away anyway. Um, yeah. You know, I've just got such a connection with you now. And I think we've just had such a lovely conversation and I hope it's helped somebody. Um, But if anybody wants to maybe reach out, if they want to follow whatever you're getting up to um, for the rest of the year, where is the best place that people can find you? So I suppose my Instagram account is Ashley O'Connor underscore and that's where I kind of keep keep most social media going. So that'd be amazing. Oh, super. Listen, you did such a fantastic job as the Claire Rose for 2023. It's been such a pleasure to have you on and I really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me, Louise, and good luck with the podcast and everything else in your bright future. So there you have it. I can't speak highly enough about Ashling. Um, I just think that she's such a phenomenal lady, woman to be able to, you know, speak on such a world stage like the Rose Tralee about what she and her family have gone through. Um, and, you know, it's so heartwarming to hear her speak so highly of her parents as well, like I try to do as much as I can as well. Um, it is hard. I mean, you know, when I when I first wanted to come out with this podcast, um. I know that a lot of things can be superficial, but, you know, with speaking to my friends and my family, you know, I I have had quite a lot of life experience. Um, and I suppose with that, I am quite good at interviewing people. I have done it as a job for the last 15 years. So with this podcast, I wanted to have real, honest, open conversations about life and not always about the Instagram filtered life. I definitely don't live an Instagram filter of a life. There's been really, really hard times. I've had some really, really good times. But as well as that, I think we can all learn from one another. So I have to commend Ashling for coming on to have a chat to me. It was raw. I mean, there was times where I think both of us uh, shed tears during that chat. Um, you know, as much as you try to stay composed, there is there's just those moments in life that, you know, take your breath away. 
and you just don't know where you're going next or what you're doing. So I hope you enjoyed that chat. Um, Maybe enjoyed it might not be the right way to phrase it, but I hope you learned something. And, you know, I think if anything, it would teach us to be a little bit more compassionate towards people. You just don't know what anybody might be going through in their life. And if you can smile at somebody or you can give them a wave or sometimes if you can give them a hug, you just don't know what somebody might be going through uh, in the background that they're not sharing on social media. So that is episode three. Uh, if you want to reach out, you can contact me at louiseclarkmedia at gmail.com. My DMs are always open at Louise Clark Radio on Instagram. And I'll catch up with you next week for another episode of Girly Bits. <laughs>